Amen. It's a blessing to be here this morning. Thank you all for being here. We're so thankful to God that we can assemble and fellowship and worship and study His Word. Today we're starting two uh, new series this morning and tonight. And we want to encourage you to be a part of both of those. Uh, tonight we are starting Ephesians, what Jesus has done for us. That will go on for a few weeks and then this morning we are starting Mark and that is following the Son of God. And I think it's going to be amazing, it is amazing to me how much we learn about Jesus when we study both of those books together. And I, was, I had no idea to see the, the similarities that there would be between them and the way we would learn more and more about Jesus, who He is and, and what He's done for us and how I can follow Him and live for Him by studying those books, two books together. In fact, we have uh, some study guides on the back table that will show you the passages we're studying each week. If that's of interest to you, you can study ahead and know where we're going to be at. Uh, each week, Lord willing. The Gospel of Mark is like a docudrama where we're following Peter around as he witnesses Jesus' actions and his teachings. And that's something that we don't say very often or think about or talk about very often, is that it's believed that the Gospel of Mark is Peter's firsthand account of the life of of Jesus and his teachings. Mark is a fast-paced, to-the-point gospel. It's the shortest of the four, and he just gets right to it. He doesn't have a lot of details and, and nar narrative. There's just to-the-point statements and stories, and it's very action-focused. So you can imagine the cameras following Peter and the disciples and constantly moving, not sitting still very often as Peter witnesses this Son of God, the Christ, the promised Messiah, and what he does, what Peter sees him do, and as well as hears him teach. Mark was not one of the uh, original 12 disciples he was a little younger, but he and Peter were very close. Uh, we see that in the book of Acts. Peter, in his first letter, even references Mark as his son in the faith. They were very, very close. Uh, Peter is highlighted a lot in the Gospel of Mark, but it's interesting, not a lot of his like strong qualities and great things about him, which is the way we would write today, but back then, that was improper. That was not good manners to mention yourself in a letter or to praise someone in that light like that. But we see Mark describe a lot of things about Peter and his relationship with Jesus and his role in everything. Uh, Paul, uh, Mark joined Paul on his first missionary journey. He uh, later joined his cousin Barnabas and later worked with Paul again near the end of the apostle's life. Mark was a, a, a dedicated servant. A, a, he was on fire for Jesus. He believed in him, and he was involved in the work of the Lord, kind of at the, you know, maybe that second phase, you might say, a little bit after things got kicked off. And so it's believed that Mark wrote his gospel from Rome. We don't know for sure if he and Peter were there together, 
and Mark is simply dictating the things that Peter is saying, or if Mark is recording all the stories and lessons and words that Peter told him and he later recorded it. But regardless of that, we do know that the Bible is God's inspired word. And however God chose to transmit the information in the Gospel of Mark, He worked through these men and guided them as He breathed out the word for them to write. So we can trust that it is true and accurate and right. And we can also get this unique insight through the Apostle Peter written by Mark in this action-packed gospel about Jesus. And that's what Mark wanted us to understand. He wrote to a Gentile audience who lived in the Palestine area, Jerusalem, Judea, that kind of area, uh, around the Jordan and, 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 and Galilee. And Mark wrote, trying to do, when he wrote his gospel, was to help Gentiles hear about this Jesus and understand the backstory and what was going on and understand him and come to believe in the Son of God. That's what Mark set out to do. So I hope you will also be amazed along with me at Jesus as we look at him through the lens of Mark and Peter and his actions and his words, and by that grow deeper in our conviction to follow him and in our love for him, who he is and what he's done. So look at Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to just take everything in chunks along the way, and we'll stop longer in some places and hurry up in other places, and sometimes we won't get to every single verse and word, but we'll cover the Gospel of Mark. Look at verse 1. He just starts with the action. There's no long setup. There's no long story. He just gets right in it. You're in the story immediately when you start reading. And he writes, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's his big idea, his thesis, his main idea is that Jesus, the Christ, is the Son of God. And I want you to understand that and believe it. And that's a huge, big thing that he said here. Mark wants non-Jewish hearers to understand that Jesus was the result of all the work God had been doing in Israel with the Jewish people that they weren't a part of, all that God was doing culminated in Jesus, who is now here as the Son of God to bring salvation to the world, which God promised to Abraham way back in Genesis 12. And now that Son, the Christ, is here, and I want you to know who He is. Mark says. So Mark is essentially saying, let me tell you the story of the good news about Jesus, who is the Christ and the Son of God. The Son of God is here, he's saying. Now, in verses 2 through 8, Mark reaches back to the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. And maybe they would not have been familiar with Isaiah. Maybe some of them would have been, 
But Mark reaches back to the uh, prophet to show them something because he's switching gears here a little bit. you got to follow him. you got to keep up with him. You can't slow down or you'll miss what Mark is doing. And so he writes in verses 2 through 3, quoting Isaiah, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. So who is Mark referring to? Well, he just talked about Jesus, but he's already switched gears. This is another action scene. He's not talking about Jesus now. He's talking about who? John the Baptist. And he, he wants, he's showing the Gentile people, which would be us, by the way. He's showing us, I need to show you something. This is about Jesus. But Isaiah said that God would send somebody to say, the Son of God is coming. Get ready, make way, be prepared for the Christ because he's coming. Now, look at verses 4 through 8. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So again, he's just already, boom, throws us in the action scene He lets us know that this was something God said was going to happen. And then all of a sudden, he's telling us about John the Baptist, who's out in the wilderness talking about the coming Lord, the coming kingdom of God, to repent, and he's baptizing people. Look at verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem, and that's the area Mark was writing to, were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John comes out of nowhere as far as we know. He just, boom, he's there. And he's in the wilderness teaching about the coming Christ, the Son of God, the coming kingdom. Be ready. And a part of him making people ready is that he is saying, repent of your sins, confess your sins, and get baptized. That's really astonishing and important. We talk about baptism a lot, but we never go here to talk about baptism. And I think it's incredible how much we learn about baptism and God and God's family and being a part of His family through learning about John the Baptist and what he did and then what Jesus did after that. So... Mark tells us John came baptizing. And you know, the gospel of Mark begins with baptizing, and it ends with baptizing, which we'll see down the road. But baptism did not exist before John the Baptist came on the scene. It it wasn't a thing. It, It wasn't done. No one did this. This was a brand new thing. Now, People who are familiar with the Old Testament go back and they 
and, and even the discussion of the Pharisees in the New Testament. And we go back and we say, but there were ceremonial washings. There were people who were told to go dip into the river and things like that. And the Jews had to follow customs of cleanliness with their hands and their, their body and dishes and all that. And, and, and it seems to me that those were, uh, those were foreshadowing baptism that we see in the New Testament. But baptism, to become a part of God's family, did not exist and was not done before John the Baptist comes on the scene and does it. And, and he talks about this more in John chapter 1. There's a lot more details that John, uh, the Apostle John, fills in about John the Baptist and how God called him and told him what to do. And that's a really interesting background to go and look at. So John's baptism, though, was unique. No one else baptized the way John did. God didn't tell anyone else to do baptism in the way he told John to do it. He told him to go and do something specific. He was the only one God sent out to prepare the way for Jesus. And in doing so, it was to have people repent of their sins, believe on the message of the Lord, and be baptized. Now... John says, he baptized with water. The one coming after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He, what he meant by that was, I don't impart the Holy Spirit. I'm just supposed to baptize you. And the one who's coming after me, who's greater, that I'm preparing the way for, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And, and that's just simply referring to New Testament baptism that anyone does, that we see the apostles do, that we see people, uh, that we see taught throughout the rest of the New Testament. That's what that is because it's then, which we see in the book of Acts when the church begins, that the Holy Spirit is imparted, is given uh, at, at baptism. And we'll see more about that with Jesus in just a moment. So what was John's message? His message was that God was doing something new. There's something significant about fulfilling this prophecy to send out John and to be baptized to be a part of his family now. And see, he's saying to the Jewish people who thought they were righteous because they had followed all the customs, he's saying, guess what? Your nationality, your customs, all of your rules and regulations, all of the law that you followed, that ain't what does it anymore. That's no longer how you get into the family of God. You see, this is the son of the message of the Son of God written to Gentiles. This is the gospel for all people which God said it would be back in Genesis 12 when he promised that to Abraham. And so he's saying that the way you're used to doing it is no more. This is the new way. You turn in faith to God, repent of your sins, and are baptized to be a part of uh, his family. So he was preaching a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and people were coming all over, from all over, to respond to the message. And so we see here, we always go to Acts to talk about this, but we see here that with John, when baptism first comes on the scene, it was always for the forgiveness of sins and never after or because, of you, because you were forgiven. It just never is written and talked about that way in Scripture. Baptism is for the forgiveness of your sins, and then later you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit we see in the book of Acts, 
In other words, you cannot be forgiven or saved or become a Christian, however you want to word that and phrase that, until you've repented and have been baptized. And we see that with John. So we learn a lot about baptism even from John, uh, John the Baptist here at the beginning of Mark. Now look at, look, look at verses 9 through 11. Mark writes, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth, of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So he just switches gears. He's done talking about John, and now we're getting back to ver- what we were talking about in verse 1, and that is Jesus. He says Jesus just shows up, he appears, here he is, and he comes to be baptized by John in the Jordan. And of course, John chapter 1 gives us more information about that. And when he came up out of the water, because baptism is only means, can only mean, by definition, only means to go all the way under, to dip under. Jesus came up out of the water. Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. There's a lot happening here. But why would the sinless, perfect Jesus go to be baptized? John didn't, I mean, Mark doesn't even stop long enough to tell us anything about that except that he did it. But thankfully, Matthew fills in a little bit for us. And Matthew 3.15, John, John the Baptist is like, what? I, I can't baptize you. You need to baptize me. And Jesus says what? Let it be so to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, this is God's plan. This is how God wants it. And I'm here as the Son of God to do God's will. And this is what He wants done. So it was an example, but it was also a way, one of the many ways that Jesus identifies with His people. You see, Jesus identifies with us. Jesus isn't some high priest in a, in, a, in a palace far removed from us in some kingdom far away from us that can't relate. Jesus was on the ground. He understood what it was like to be us. He knows what it's like to live your life, to deal with what you're dealing with. Because he was among his people. And again, John helps us. And the word became flesh and what? Dwelt among the people. Jesus understands. And so as an example and as to follow God's uh, uh, will, he does what he would have us to do to become a part of his family. Now, Jesus identified with us, with those who he came to save. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that he can identify with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way yet without sin. So he understands what it's like for us. And we see the definition of baptism as Jesus comes up out of the water, but then look what happens. The Bible says, Mark tells us, the heavens were torn open. We usually go straight to, you see the, the Spirit lands on him like a dove, and there's the, there's a, the, we have the Trinity there, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And that's powerful. That's a powerful testimony. And this is a witness and confirmation from God as to who Jesus is. It's very important. But we miss that detail about the heavens being torn open. 
What was that like? What did that sound like? What did that look like? For the heavens to be torn open. But the heavens were torn open after Jesus came up out of the water. The Holy Spirit, like a dove, lands on Jesus. And God's voice speaks. So you got to understand that Malachi was the last book in the Old Testament. Chronologically, it was the last one written. We have not, no one has heard from God for 400 years. He has not spoken until all of a sudden, John the Baptist is on the scene talking about the coming Lord. Repent, be baptized, the kingdom is coming. God has been silent for 400 years. We go crazy in 400 seconds. And he, they haven't heard a word from Israel, his people, no one. 400 years. And so now Jesus comes up out of the water. God rips open heaven. The Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus. And God speaks. And He says, This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. Why was He pleased? He was fulfilling all righteousness. It was a part of His plan. Baptism was just one step in all that Jesus did in His mission to save us, which is what God was doing in sending His Son. And God rips open heaven to tell us, I'm back and my Son is here. Turn to Him. Put your faith in Him for salvation. That's how powerful this moment was. It's interesting also that baptism makes us sons or children of God. In the same way that God says, Jesus is my son, he always was, not because he was baptized, but we are co-heirs with Jesus. Galatians 3.26 and 27, For in Christ Jesus... In Christ, you are all what? Sons, and that's meaning sons and daughters, like kind of plural man or mankind. Sons of God through faith. This is my son. Believe in him. For as many of you as were what? Baptized. Do you see the importance of baptism? As many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Romans 8.15, Paul's writing about us Christians being heirs with Christ. When he writes, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, God adopts us as His children when we put on Christ in baptism. That's the way in His family. Now look at verses 12 through 15. I need to hurry and finish. Mark tells us that the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. And other Gospels tell us more about that. Mark lets us know that this happened. And then what happens after that? Look at... Uh, Mark actually skips about a year of Jesus' life after the wilderness, after the temptation. And he, and he goes over to this point where Jesus just shows up and He's proclaiming the Gospel of God in verse 14. And look at verse 15, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent 
and believe the gospel. Now in Galatians 4, 4, and 5, Paul said it like this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Do you see the connection there? Born of a woman, born under law, to do what? Verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons when we turn to Him in faith. Jesus preached that that time now had come that I'm here, He's saying. Turn and believe the good news. So look at verses 16 through 20. Mark finally tells us of Jesus calling the first disciples. He doesn't spend as much time like the others do and talking about this, but he he tells us that he calls, first of all, two sets of brothers. Simon Peter, he just goes by Simon, Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John. They're out fishing, doing different things, they're friends. And John in his gospel tells us more about them and how they met Jesus and stuff like that. But, but Jesus goes over and he calls them and he says, follow me. And they leave everything and follow him. You know, we've talked about that a lot. You know, what does that mean? And that seems strange to us. We would never do anything like that. You mean just drop what I'm doing now and walk off with you? We would never do that kind of thing. But we need to see that kind of story because one of the things it's telling us is that to follow Jesus will cost us something. And that is perhaps our biggest problem like the rich young ruler when he approached Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he didn't want to do everything that it took. Because that's the hardest part for us is to to, to let go of something that prevents us from fully following Jesus. And we forget that following Jesus, the Son of God who is here to bring us salvation, costs us something. In fact, it costs us everything, our entire lives. And yet that's exactly what we want to hold on to. The things of this world, the things of this life, we love it too much to let go of it and just follow. And that's why they're such a good example because they're holding nets. James and John are are, are mending their nets. Uh, Peter and Andrew are fishing. And and, and you'll never see a man, you know, unless a child falls in the water or his wife falls in the water, just let go of it when he's got a fish on the river. You don't just let go of that. They didn't say, okay, let let me, hold on, Jesus. No, they just dropped it and followed Jesus. But we let things hold us back, don't we? We let them hold us back from even becoming a Christian, from getting right back with God again. And we say, I can't, I, I can't let go. I've got too much going on. When Jesus says, follow me. Another thing they teach us is that Jesus went to Regular, everyday, plain, common, you and me kind of people. And he said, I want you to follow me. He didn't go to all of the best in class people and say, y'all follow me. That will give me a lot of uh, uh, clout, street cred. That will really draw attention to me if I get all the who's who to follow me. But he went to you and me kind of people. And he said, follow me. And then he did great things through them with the gospel message. 
He relates to His people. He suffers with His people. He connects with His people. He identifies with us kind of people, with all kinds of people. And He says, follow me. And then He takes us and He does something with us and in us and through us to do His will, to tell others about Him. And the Bible says they kept coming, talking about John and his message in the, in the gospel. And that's what Jesus wants for all of us. The Son of God is here. Turn and believe and follow me. We can help you this morning if you haven't turned to the Son of God. And you know it's time to do that. We want you to. If you have and yet you've been letting some other things get your attention, pulled away from God. You need to let go of those things. If not, when? And if you wait, it might be too late. Maybe you never will. Can we encourage you this morning, pray for you? Are you ready to study and put on Christ in baptism? If we can serve you this morning, come forward as we stand and sing. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore.